Smartcast. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure that I have the opportunity of bringing on Jeannie Cisco meth onto the show today. Uh, Jeannie is a two-time best-selling author, professional, motivational speaker, educator, and parent. She shares her scientifically proven system for improving communication and decreasing conflict. Jeannie has written many magazine articles, been quoted in Forbes, and was a contributor for The Blaze. She's also been a guest on radio stations across the country and has appeared on television for ABC4, Free Speech TV, and others. I'm excited to have Jeannie on today to talk about her book, Bullyproofing You. And I believe bullying is such an important topic that we're experiencing in our society today and anything we could do to escalate a situation like this and help those involved in these types of situations, it's extremely important. It's a great pleasure. I welcome Jeannie Cisco meth to the show. Welcome to the show, Jeannie. Thank you, Jason. I so appreciate it. And I loved listening to you read read those things. I'm like, I have done those things. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was just saying, I mean, we had the benefit of a prior conversation before our episode today. Yeah. Um, I mentioned to you in my family, my brother uh, has made his life purpose anti-bullying. And so when I had a chance to connect with you, I deeply appreciate everything that you're doing for this purpose, because there are so many people who deal with bullying on a daily basis. And it's not just children, you know, adults and people who are in relationships are bullied. And there's so many aspects of it yes. that we, I think identifying the causes of it and helping people to really manage what they're going through when they're presented with a, with a bully directly. I, I could say from personal experience when I was younger, I think most people can say that they may have encountered a situation with somebody who acted as a bully. I was fortunate that I had an older brother five years older than me that played football in my high school. So, but I still was bullied once in my freshman year. And I remember it vividly like it was yesterday where I was in my cafeteria with my friends and I had a senior walk up to me and start trouble with me and knock my food down. And it really scared me. Luckily, my brother went and spoke to that person and that person <laughs> left me alone. Not everybody's right. got a big brother. At right. The time. right. So that was before you could shame someone anonymously 
and cause a lot of damage to someone's psyche and, and personal well-being. And it's this is a very important topic to me. And I'm so grateful that you've done your work in this area. And I'm just fascinated to have you come on and talk about your book with us and, and this, you know, this important subject with our audience. First thing I want to ask you, what prompted you to make this one of your life focus in terms of your passion and, and pursuing it the way you do? Well, it I dealt with it as a, as a child. You know, I had a lot of learning disabilities, but I didn't really start thinking about helping people with it until I was a teacher. And I was a high school teacher for 17 years. And I taught 16 of those years at a at an alternative high, you know, so kids who are in gangs and kicked out of mainstream and they're, they're dealing with a lot of issues. And there was a lot you know, a lot of interplay and interchange between students. And I noticed some would be really devastated by it. And others were like, the guy's an idiot. And I'm like, okay, what's the difference? You know, what's the difference between the kid who gets bullied and is devastated and the kid who gets bullied and it has no effect on them. And so I started doing a lot of research through my students, through other things and realized that it's the personal value. And I wanted I'm like, wow, this is this is huge. And so how can I help people? I just wanted to help more people. What was the greatest challenge you found as, a, as an educator when you found students who got bullied or who were bullied and presented with a situation like that? How difficult was it for you to help the student in that situation and help the school, help the parents, all the different parties involved? Like what 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 kind of. Uh, experience have you had with that as an educator in the past? Yeah. Well, part of it is part of the struggle is getting people to see what it is at first, because each person, if I have a really good personal value and another person says to me, Hey, I'm being bullied. And I say, okay, what was said? And to me, that's not very bad. Then I have a tendency to negate that person's pain and not really listen to it. The thing that I've learned is that everybody gets to decide their own level of pain. It's not, you know, I don't get to tell somebody, oh, you're not in pain. You know, they, it, it's their pain. And so I think the biggest thing is being able to communicate between one another, the pain that is happening and understanding communication where there's understanding and not just words being passed around. When you look at these type of situations, I know you studied it rather extensively as part of your passion. What do you find are the general attributes of someone who's bullied versus someone who does the bully? The personal, the personal value. So somebody who is bullying is usually being bullied or they've been taught how to be a bully somewhere. Both of them have very low personal value. They don't believe in themselves. They don't trust themselves. One, the bully overcomes that, that deficit by attacking someone else. I call it leveling. You know, the bully sees themselves as down below and uh, they see the, the victim as higher than them for whatever reason. And so they attack that person to pull them down to their level. And or the um, victim then doesn't see themselves as, you know, strong or independent and they have their own issues that they're dealing with. So when they're bullied, they feel like it's a personal attack. Whereas somebody who who's, you know, somebody says something to them, tries to bully them and they've got a good personal value. They just brush it off. They're just like, whatever, dude, you know, that person's having a bad day or that person's, you know, I always call them a Goomba. <laughs> that person's being a Goomba, you know, and they realize it's not about them. It's about the other person. 
What made you, uh, what prompted you to become an educator? Oh, <laughs> when I was in elementary school, I struggled. I mean, really hard. I had dyslexia, not only visual dyslexia, you know, where the numbers and letters get mixed up, but auditory dyslexia as well. And so I couldn't hear very well. I couldn't see very well. Therefore, I developed a speech impediment, <laughs> you know, and I had all of these issues and I struggled really hard. And then in high school, I had a teacher kind of take me under his wing and say, hey, you can do this. You can do this. I believe in you. And he was my basketball coach. Luckily, I'm six foot tall and I was in kind of a small school. And so he's like, we need you. We need you. You got to step up. And his belief overcame my unbelief. And I thought, man, if I could just help one kid, like he helped me, you know, I, I could save a life and I could make a difference. And that's pretty cool. And I wanted to. Do Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think touching someone's life in a positive way and helping them through one of these traumatic situations, especially when they're as a child or in, in high school or any form of life, any time of their life is a very traumatic experience for someone to go through this. And I think that anything you can do to offer guidance and help comfort people, allay their concerns is very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, if there's not, because sometimes we get caught in our own head and we're bullying ourselves. And so we've got to learn how to stop not only the internal bullies, but the external bullies. And external bully is paused by, Hey, you know, hey, how you doing? You okay? Asking a question. And I go through that extensively in the last part of my book. The internal bully is stopped by reminding myself or coaching myself that I am valuable. I am loved. I am special. I do have something of value to give. What do you, what was your greatest challenge in writing your book? <laughs> that internal bully. <laughs> Absolutely. Every time I would sit down to write, I would hear my, my high school teachers going, oh, you're stupid. You can't do this. You know, you're an idiot. And, and I, I remember saying, wait a minute, hold on. If I was the only person who couldn't spell, spell check would not have been invented. And that really helped me realizing that I wasn't the only one you know, and realizing that, hey, there must be a lot of people who have issues spelling because it's built right into the software. And, and that really helped me move forward. You know, I think of bullying, I think of Back to the Future, the movie with Biff you know, in the 1950s in the restaurant and he's chasing after Marty McFly. And, you know, they, they make it funny and comedic, yeah. but in reality, how do we change this particular scenario in our society? What do we need to do to really alter it? Because it's based on an individual behavior and individual thought patterns, I believe. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lay person, so I'm just saying this from my own personal perspective. But what do you think we need to do to change the aspects of bullying? Because I think it's inherent, unfortunately, in human nature that you're gonna have some people that wanna do these kind of things to others. Yeah, and I don't think until God comes again, <laughs> we will ever totally eradicate bullying, abuse, violence. We just won't. We live in a fallen world. And so to totally eradicate it, that's a dream. That's a journey. Learning how to deal with it until we get there is the mission. And if, you know, going back to Biff and Marty McFly, if Biff is harassing me, I remove myself from that environment as much as possible. And when Biff isn't harassing me, I ask him how he's doing or I interact with him and I say, hey, you know what's going on? The other day you were being a jerk. Why? You know, or 
or hey, you know, we all have bad days. You want to hang out today. And um, there's a story in my book that goes into the detail of you never know what somebody's going through. You don't know. And Biff may be being abused at home. Who knows what's going on? And if I can come from that place of compassion, then the bullying doesn't escalate and it doesn't continue its horrible cycle. So compassion, um, leave the area if I need to. That doesn't mean forever. You know, I can go back to the soda spot later or realize that, hey, Biff's having a rough day. Besides trying to do that, what if you have someone who doesn't let up and they just continuously get worse and worse and worse over time progressively with the person that they're bullying? What type of steps do you recommend to someone in the audience who may have experienced bullying or have a child that experiences bullying and it's a chronic problem and it's been escalating between, you know, verbal bullying and online bullying to possibly physical altercations? What type of uh, recommendations would you make to members of our audience if they have a family member going through that or if they've experienced it themselves? Yeah. So first of all, um, if somebody has put their hands on you, that is not bullying, that's abuse. And it needs to be treated as such. And a lot of people think, oh, it's, no, it's not bullying. It's abuse. It's assault. It needs to be reported. If, if it's still in the word stage, so I'm, I'm going to use an example from my life when I was working in a cubicle. <laughs> I was working in an office and the lady next to me, for some reason, did not like me. And every day she would have a snide remark about something that I was doing. And finally, and, you know, and she would say, the boss did said this, the boss said that. Finally, I went in and I said, hey, what's going on? Are you saying these things? And she's like, no. Where did you hear that? And I said, well, I heard it from a fellow worker. I will talk to her. And so I went to the fellow worker and I said, hey, what's going on? What's your issue? Why are you attacking me? I haven't done anything to you. And so it was that front, that confrontation or that, you know, standing up and saying, hey, stop it. Totally took care of it. Now, at first, you know, that took a lot of courage because I don't know, is she going to escalate? Is she going to get worse? Is she going to yell at me? And so that takes courage to stand up and say, hey, don't talk to me that way. And a lot of times we won't do that. We feel intimidated or we're afraid and or we're afraid it might escalate. And so we don't say anything. And when we're silent, that allows the person to escalate and become more violent. Bullyproofing You itself, your book, has it broken into different areas. And I know one of the areas is the personal value. Mm -hmm. And then I want to ask you first about that as we go through the book. When you talk about personal value as this first section of your chapter, can you explain to our audience a little bit how that factors into uh, someone encompassing, you know, dealing with bullying situation or within themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the personal value, in my opinion, is that foundation upon which everything else builds. And that's because if I know that I'm valuable, it doesn't matter what somebody else says. The problem comes from me allowing other people to stick labels on me that I may not like, or letting other people define my value or my significance. That's where the problem comes in. So if I decide that I'm valuable, and then I take action to make sure that I show people I'm valuable, then I'm valuable, and I'm more likely to brush things aside. Now, you asked a question about, you know, what if my child is being bullied? Great question. So I need to help build my child's personal value. The problem is, is that a lot of 
parents are like, oh, honey, you're beautiful, you're handsome, you're smart, you're athletic, you know, and they go into this whole list and the kid's like, yeah, right, whatever, mom. <laughs> but if the kid comes home and says, mom, Sally called me a name, all you got to say is, aren't you glad I don't believe that? Because in that question lies the child's power to choose who they listen to and who they don't listen to. And so often they don't realize that there's a choice because we train our kids from a young age to do what they're told, right? To not talk back to, you know, and, and to just kind of conform. And so now all of a sudden they have this person that is doing something that is totally inappropriate talking to them. And when emotion is high, intelligence is low. And so if I've got that emotion from that bullying attack going on, I don't always think very reasonably. So emotions up, my intelligence is down, but if I can teach them to start discerning after the effect, when the emotion comes down, then they're more likely to make the appropriate decision. And so that question again is, aren't you glad I don't believe that? And you just let it go. And then the kid's like, oh, wait, you mean I have a choice? Yeah, I have a choice. Do you recommend confronting your bully? I do. Yeah. And how would you go about doing that? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of different ways to do that. And in the third part of the book, I break it down into a step-by-step process Um, because just like I was saying, when that emotion is high, that intelligence is low. And so I may need some planned responses. So, you know, somebody comes up, says something negative to me and I'm like, Hey, what's your favorite meal? (laughs) Or what's your favorite color? Because we have been trained from a very young age to answer questions. And when somebody is bullying, they're usually in their reptilian brain. They're not thinking. But if I ask them a question that causes them to think, then usually that will de-escalate the situation right there. Or the bully will say, well, you're an idiot or you're a weirdo. Why are you asking me that? And just kind of walk away. But if I ask them, hey, why are you bullying me? No, that throwing more fuel on the fire. So I have to ask a question that is unexpected. Like, <laughs> so a funny example is when I was a teacher at my high school, dealing with gang members all day long. And obviously, sometimes they would threaten me and I would say, awesome, meet me at the flagpole after school. We didn't have a flagpole. <laughs> but it de-escalated the situation and it, you know, it went on and Um, I remember one student asking around after school, where's the flagpole? Where I got to meet Jeannie at the flagpole? And everybody just started laughing like, dude, there's no flagpole. Just go home, you know? And so humor can get you a long ways. It really can. Or, or, hey, yeah, I'll meet you later or I'll call you later or whatever. And then you just walk away. In light of our current timeframe, gun violence in schools. Yeah. When someone's threatening you, at what point does a student, for example, take that threat seriously enough to report it to the authorities, to, you know, the authoritarian figures in the, in the school, the, you know, those who are looking after and are entrusted with that versus not doing so? And how so would that if, work in the, in the bullying context? Sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody is threatening you with bodily harm, that needs to be reported. So there, there's kind of two sides to this story. One is the bully story right? And the fact that they replay over and over in their mind that they're justified in acting out violently because of what they've heard or seen or been attributed to them. That's 
a whole nother subject that we could go off on, you know, for hours. And so we have the bully on one side and then we have the victim on the other side and we have lack of communication between the two and teachers who are overwhelmed, overworked, and they're not sure of what to do. I, when I was a teacher, I stood in the door. I talked to my students. I knew all of my students' names. And you may say, well, yeah, Jean, but you weren't in a mainstream high school. Yeah, that's true. I would have 20, 25 ADHD kids in my classroom all day long. Imagine that, right? And so I learned very quickly, I could not stand in front of a classroom and lecture. It would not happen. And so I had to get inventive and teach with stories and, and understand we have some incredible teachers, incredible teachers. And we have some teachers that have taught one year, 30 times. I look at these things and I've been removed from the educational system for a while. When I look at it, I, I look at things like cyberbullying. I look at things that are where you don't even know who's bullying you. Right, right. When you compare that to, I wouldn't call it traditional bullying, I call it in-person bullying. But when you do the cyberbullying thing now that the you know younger people do, and actually I know people do it in all walks of life when they go online, they can you know troll people and all that. How does that relate? How, how do you connect to that in relation to other forms of bullying, the cyberbullying aspect of things? So the problem with cyberbullying and that is that it's really easy to get hooked into what that person said. So for example, I have my book, it's on Amazon. I have uh, reviews on there. I have not checked them for a long time. And that was because when I checked it, I had uh, 4.5 stars, I think. And I had 16 positive reviews and one negative review, one one star review. So which one do you think I read the most? The one. No, the 15 yeah. five stars, I would hope. I wish, right? <laughs> I wish. And, and that's just human nature. We're drawn to the thing that can hurt us because our subconscious is like, beware, beware. And so that happens a lot in cyberbullying. My suggestion is become aware of it, shut it off, block it, turn it away. Because you have many more positive comments than you do negative, you know, by the grace of God, my Facebook page reached over 350,000 people last year, last month. Congratulations. And thank you. Yeah, because we went from like 2,000 to two, just over 250 in March. And then we went to over 350 in, in April and May. And I'm like, holy moly, which caused us upgraded problems. I didn't know that Facebook could put you in jail if your Facebook page <laughs> blew up. You know, all of these things. I had no idea what was going on. And so out of all of those comments, tons and tons of positive comments. And then one guy said something to the effect of, I'd rather stab pencils in my ears than listen to you, right? And I'm like, wow, okay. I hope you feel better soon. You know, I'm sorry you're having a bad day. And I just, I'm like, let me know how I can help. And then I read, I went, I immediately went and read all the others that were really positive. Because that negative has a tendency to stay if I don't remove it and replace it. I like that. So you're reassigning your thought patterns. Yep. And using positive self-talk in a way to, yeah. to, to control what's impacting your interior, your, your internal compass, how you feel about yourself. It's almost like you have to have a pretty great grasp, uh, or I should say a command of self-love to yeah. help you when you're well, dealing with a difficult situation like that. Yeah. And I, I liken it to putting your wheels 
your hands on the wheel of your life, right? You're steering. Well, I was a driver's ed teacher for years <laughs> or something like that, right? And now I get to drive a Porsche. I love my Porsche. I would never ever be flying down the freeway and take my hands off the wheel. My Porsche is not designed to drive itself. I know they're getting there, but you know that that's not how I. My husband uses all those the controls. A lot of them. I don't. I like my hands on the wheel. And I liken that to the same in my life. My mind couldn't run amok. Mm-hmm. And if I don't get my hands on it and say, whoa, no, we're not going there. We're going this way. I love myself. I respect myself. I am loved. I am needed. I'm, I'm not going in that ditch. I'm going this way. And I think way too often people just take their hands off and they wind up in the ditch and then they blame the person who just went past. No. You wound up in the ditch. That means you can get yourself out of the ditch. And that's powerful. I like holding yourself accountable at all times. Even when you're presented with a negative, uncomfortable situation and trying to keep yourself on path and not getting knocked into the ditch, in other words. Yeah. Or the rabbit hole, as I like to call it. The what if thoughts. Yep. Yeah. And I always tell my clients, if you say what if to the negative, you have to say what if to the positive. And real reality is somewhere in between the two. Definitely. But so often people are constantly going to the what if negative and they never even look at the what if positive. You know and what I tell just, people to do that? Sorry. No, I tell my ahead. clients who do that, I say, guess what? And I, I'm prone to this. I am not saying that I'm somehow never worried or what if thoughts don't <laughs> pop my brain in, but don't pop into my brain. I'll say this. Anyone who deals with all those what if thoughts, keep in mind, probably it, it weighs you down like an old laptop. Uh, on a window system with the, or uh, I'm on a, a MacBook. So the little vol- the beach ball, you know, it, it slows you down. It, it weighs you down. It burdens you. And if you can, most of those, what if thoughts will never happen. Right. So you're worrying about something that may never become reality. And I tell people, put those in compartments, put them away, like putting clothes in the dr- dresser and closing the drawers, the drawers, compartmentalize it. Don't let those, what if thoughts plague you because they may never happen. React to the things that do happen and that will help you. Yeah. Yeah. So my book starts with a quote from Viktor Frankl that says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose. And in our choice lies our growth and our freedom. So often people think there's no space. Stimulus, response, stimulus, response. They don't, they need to slow that down and go, wait, there is a space in there. I can choose what I'm doing. That's why we're human because we have a brain that allows us to make decisions. And God gave us free will. I like your pyramid. I like graphics in books that help explain concepts. And I have your pyramid here, which is the four tiers of bullyproofing you. And we already kind of went into personal value. I wanted to see if you could discuss these tiers and how they interact and interconnect into your book and explaining these concepts to our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So the first tier is the personal value. And that's the first three chapters of the book. And then the second tier is perspective, how I see things. And the next three chapters go into that. And then the the final part, the very top of the pyramid is planned responses so that I can have some things. And it goes into a step-by-step process of how to train my brain so that when my emotion is high, I can still think and I can still function properly. And then there's an arrow that runs down the side that says practice, practice, practice. Because it's a journey. It's not a destination. You're not going to get there overnight. And you will fall off the seat and you have to get back on again. You will yes, fall in the ditch. Exactly. You got to get yourself out of the ditch back on the road, so to speak, and get your horse going forward. 
Yeah, exactly. And realize that if I can shorten the time in the ditch, I'm much more likely to get back on and get going. You know, when I'm going for a goal, I call it the spin cycle. You know, I'm going for a goal and I think I'm just going to go straight up. Well, then I make a mistake and I wind up in the spin cycle and I can get stuck in there. Well, if I can get my ditch time down to like 10 seconds, I'm back on the road and cruising again. But if I'm in the ditch for a month, two months, three months, I'm not going anywhere. Weighing yourself down. Yeah. Being able to get that ditch time or that spin cycle as small as possible is good. Now, it's important to feel my emotions. It's absolutely okay for me to say, hey, that hurt. That was rude. Why'd you say that? You know, throw my little temper fit and then say, okay, thanks. Bye. And then I'm back on the road and going to where I want to go. When you talk about perspective in the second section of your book, what would you say to someone in our audience who's trying to understand if they're dealing with a, a, a difficult situation, let's say at work or at school, how would you encourage someone to gain perspective if they've never been able to do it before in a bullying situation? So it starts with a question that you ask yourself. If you are at a workplace and you absolutely love your work and you enjoy your pay and you know you want to stay there, then that's going to be a reconciliation process. And sometimes it can be resolved with taking someone to lunch, getting them alone. Um, a lot of times bullies are surrounded by a clan or a group or a gang or whatever because they draw power or energy from their gang. And so if you're in a cubicle, kind of like I was, and the person next to you is in a cubicle, just take them to lunch or talk to them. And it starts, though, with not believing what they're saying. Way too often we believe or we accept the labels that they put on us. And so, first of all, remove those labels by believing in yourself. Remember that hurt people hurt people and reach out to them and see how you can help. So if you can empathize and look at the situation of the person that's actually causing you negativity, empathize, try to get yourself outside of being the hurt victim mindset and internalizing what they're throwing at you. Instead, maintain a strong self-love, strong presence within yourself, so to speak, and then utilize that and try to bridge the gap with the other side. Yeah. Take them to lunch, try to do something that de-escalates. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not very proud to admit it, but I have an ex-husband. That's not the problem. The problem was on Facebook. um, I had said some mean things on some posts of his and he blocked me. And I was so glad that he did because I had started down that path. And once you start down that path, it's easy to continue down that path. And so one thing that I'll ask is I will say, why would a reasonable, rational adult behave this way? And what that does is it allows me to key in to the pain they may be feeling. Because a reasonable, rational adult would not bully. A reasonable, rational adult would not attack or demean anybody. So that means there's something going on. And that helps me find their emotion a little bit more and key into it. You talk about motivators, pain or pleasure as a motivator. Can you talk about that a little bit to our audience and how that works in terms of strategy with dealing with these kind of situations? 
Yeah. So pain, right? I don't like pain. So I'll move away from pain and pain can be a really good impetus to get started on something. You know, I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've gained my COVID-19. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, right? <laughs> I've gained my COVID-19. I've got to lose my COVID-19. And then I go out and I start running or exercising. I'm like, that hurts. And I go back to my couch. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want pain. And so I have to learn how to use pain to move me forward. Just like if anybody smokes, the first time they took a cigarette, it hurt them. They coughed, they gagged, it was horrible. And they kept doing it because of the pleasure they thought they would have on the other side. So understanding the pain pleasure continuum is important. Pain can get me started to do something, but I've got to replace it with pleasure very quickly so that I can continue to do it. So when I'm working with a client who wants to lose weight or wants to start something new, I always remind them, okay, what's your carrot? And I think of the carrot and the stick, you know, the little donkey with the carrot. And, you know, what am I working for? What do I get today if I go run my mile? What's my carrot today? And then after I've done a week or two of daily carrots, then I go to a weekly carrot or a monthly carrot. I also have to have the stick to beat my donkey with <laughs> once in a while, right? So, so for example, I smoked. Now, it was not a good thing. I was a health teacher. It was total <laughs> rebellion. You know, I know what happened. And I stopped immediately when I had my carrot as I could see my husband, my boyfriend at that time. If we, you know, if, if we could, so this was the goal. If I had a cigarette or smoked or anything, I could not see him at all. But if I didn't, if I contained myself, then we could. And we were actually, I had called him after work because he lived about an hour and a half away. I called him after work and I said, hey, can you meet today? And he says like, babe, there's just no way I'm going to be able to meet you. And I'm like, okay. And I got off the phone from him and I pulled out a cigarette because there was no way I was going to be able to see him, right? Well, the Lord has marvelous ways that he works in. And as soon as I lit that cigarette and put it to my lips, I get a phone call babe, the most amazing thing happened. My whole day opened up. Let's go to dinner. And I was like, Ooh, choice time, right? I was the only one who knew about my commitment I had just made. And I told him I can't, and this is why. And he said, you're right. And he hung up on me and I've never touched a cigarette since. And we've been married 19 and a half years. Congratulations. That's a great accomplishment and achievement in light of the, how addictive nicotine can be. Cause I see my family members struggle with it after having, you know, many years of dealing with that. Yeah. It's leverage. You got to get leverage on yourself and then you got to have that carrot. The stick will smack you. That'll be the pain, you know, and, and then you got to have the carrot. So what role do you think fear plays in these scenarios in the bullying scenario? And how can you combat that if you're dealing with it personally? Fear is everywhere. Fear is everywhere. It's coming from the bully. It's coming from the victim. It's coming from the bystanders. And, you know, it's that that fear is an emotion. Now, recently, I was um, I'm working with Tony Robbins team 
and he did a training that I got to be a part of. And he talked about how fear, you know, it, you've heard the acronym false evidence appearing real, you know, but he, he said it, it was actually Pitbull who had come in and talked and he said, it's face everything and rise. Pitbull the artist? Loved, yeah, Pitbull wow. said it's face everything and rise. And I thought, wow, what a cool thing. And I realized that when there's fear, that's an opportunity to build my courage muscle, <laughs> right? And everybody likes muscles. Everybody likes to be strong. And so I have to remember in that moment, oh, fear's coming up. Okay, I'm afraid. Knees are knocking, mouths dry, palms are sweating. Awesome. We're going to lift a 50-pound courage muscle today, right? <laughs> and so it's that going back to that hands on the wheel, coach my mind where I want it to go, control it and make it go where I want it to go. And that is I stand in the fire and I build my courage and I move towards my goal. One of the other things I see as a theme here is the topic of love, self-love, extending an olive branch out to someone that might be causing you negativity. What do you find about love? I know the the term love means different things to different people and everyone can connect to it on some level because it's, I believe it's the building block and fabric of our spiritual existence. I think so too. What's what your viewpoint on love with bullying and how it, how it can play a, a, an important role? Love, I can love someone else because I was loved first. I can forgive someone else because I've been forgiven. And so often we get so wrapped up in us and our junk and our pain and what we're going through that we forget everybody else is going through this exact same thing. They're going through whatever they're trying to handle as well. And if I can just take a step back and stop for a minute and, and realize that I think, I think the real problem comes in people don't love themselves and therefore they can't love others. And a lot of times, you know, I was one of the other camp that said, oh, no, oh, no, I don't need to love myself to love others. I don't need that until I started digging in and realizing, no, it is the foundation. And if you can't get to respect, get to like. I mean, if you can't get to love, get to like. And if you've already got like, go to respect. I respect myself. Every morning I wake up in the morning, I say a prayer, and then I have doTERRA essential oils that I use. And I put it on my heart and I say, I forgive myself and others because I've been forgiven. I love and they it. have an oil called forgive. And man, it makes a huge difference. I use essential oils myself. So when you mentioned that, I know doTERRA as well. It's, it's really a great brand. Yeah. I, you're mentioning a spiritual component that I think is worth addressing, okay. which is the spirituality of one's ability to address these variables within themselves, but also outside of themselves externally. And one of the things I, I noticed you mentioned in your, in one of your chapters is that we're all connected. I believe that as well. Yeah. And I want to see if you could describe some of the spiritual elements of this that you find from experience with your book and just in general, working with people that have dealt with bullying, how spirituality plays such a vital role or if it does at all. Yeah, I, I believe so because we all have a higher power. And my higher power is God. And when I'm in the ditch, you know, I go back to, um, I was in a pretty deep, dark ditch for a long time. And the way I started getting out of that ditch was realizing that God loves me no matter what. 
He loves me so much that he sent his only son to die for me. I mean, and at first I was like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm like, my worth has nothing to do with it. It's the fact that he's my father and he will do whatever it takes to save me. And I could no longer say I'm not worth it because that means that Jesus's sacrifice was in vain. And so my father created the universe. My father is the most high God. And I am a princess and a queen in my home. And when I started believing that at a deep spiritual level, those vibes and that love has gone out to others. I know because they tell me that they come into my house and like, Jeannie, I love being in your house. And I love it when I hear somebody say, Jeannie, I love myself best when I'm with you. That's cool. By me accepting and loving myself, at least respecting myself, I'm able to give other people permission to do the same. I was just thinking something you said that, and I'd love to say this and get your opinion on it. Would it be nice to say that we could think that if you show love to others, it could be contagious and pass it on, like pay it forward? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in college, um, there was a book called P.S. I Love You, and it was a bunch of postcards um, from something Brown. What was his first name? Something Brown. But his mother used to write him notes in his lunchbox every day. And then he took those notes and put them into postcards. And I had those plastered laminated and all over my wall and things like there's no elevator to success. You got to take the stairs, um, you know, just a bunch of them. And, and one of them was share your smile with a stranger today. It may be the only sunshine they see. I love that. You know, having them wear a mask during the pandemic and yeah. I've been vaccinated. So now I'm, you know, I'm outside, I can wear no mask and I'm walking outside. I go for my walks in Tampa. It yeah. is so refreshing to be able to smile at people and then they smile back at you. And I just, I, as an anecdote, I just have to say that uh, the last year and a half has really, I feel impacted a lot of us, obviously in some negative ways, but I also think some very positive ways too. And I think the depth of how we can connect to one another as we go back into society and reinvigorate our lives is a very promising thing. And I think that that could be something that we can touch on as well when it deals with um, a negative situation like a bullying dynamic, because nothing's in a vacuum. Everything's right. Inter interrelated. And uh, from your vantage point, I'm looking at your book and I, I want to get on the last part of this because for, from what I'm looking at, the planned response part of your book. Let's talk about that. And that's a time frame. That's like how long it takes you to respond to something that's a stimulus that causes you the negative. Right. Yeah. Feeling your emotions. Yeah. You kind of get into that a little with our audience so that they. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it goes through, you know, you slowly increase this stress level as you're learning how to use these so that it's not, it doesn't throw you off guard. And so that's a very important part is learning how to slowly increase the stress and still be able to think. And then it's coming up with some responses that you can use that you don't have to think about. They're automatic or they're habitual. And those would be some questions that you could use. Like, hey, if you're in school, hey, what time does you know lunch start? Or do you have first lunch or second lunch? Or hey, what's for lunch today? Or you know, what time did you get to school? What's your favorite class? Any of those types of things. One thing that I will say, you know, especially on social media or when I'm in front of somebody and they're being um, toxic is what I call them. Um, I will say, hey, thanks for sharing your opinion. I appreciate it. 
That's it. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> you know, and how are they going to argue with that? They get more upset, I think, when yeah, you, they're when like, you're not phased, you right? You know, thanks for sharing, you know, thanks for sharing your opinion. I, I appreciate, you know, and then if they, they come back and say, well, I can't believe you said you, you know, what I, I didn't say I liked it. I just said, thanks. You know, I'm sure it took courage to say, to state your opinion. I don't agree with it. But I'm sure it took courage. And I've never had anything go past one, you know, one bad comment and I respond and then another bad comment. It never goes further than that. And I have gotten clients out of it that say, hey, you know what? You're absolutely right. I need help. Can you help me? Yeah, I can do that. That's what I do. <laughs> what is your favorite aspect of bullyproofing you from the project, you know, doing the book and 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 coming on podcasts like this and sharing your message, what's been your favorite part of it that you haven't really shared with anyone before this interview and That's why? That's a great question. Yeah. Cause I never have. Um, I absolutely love to learn and I absolutely love to teach. I believe it is my purpose. Teaching is my purpose. And so anytime I get a chance to teach your audience, you know, Oh my gosh, what a blessing. What just an incredible blessing. And I love that. That keeps me going. So thank you for having me. Oh, this is, as I said, we linked up and I was so excited. I haven't even had a chance to tell my brother yet about this. I'm like, I'm going I'm to call him after our interview and be like, guess what? You got to listen to this episode and uh, link up with Jeannie because <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to introduce you to each other. I think um, he's on the East Coast, but I mean, there's a lot of bull, anti-bullying type mm-hmm. educators. Is. And yeah. let me ask you this. And this is a, a question I want to ask you. How do you think our educational system is responding to the challenges of bullying? And has there been improvements? Or do you think that there's needs improvement if you were to give a grade, an N for needs improvement? Or is um, satisfactory? Yeah, that, okay. So I haven't been in the actual education system since 2012 when I transitioned to the stage, but I have been trying to market my program to them. And it amazed me how many times I would call a school and I say, hey, have this program. And at first they're like, we don't have the money or, you know, we don't have a bullying problem. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe if I solve the bullying, the, you know, the, the money side of it. So I got a sponsor. So I'd call them and I say, hey, no cost to you. And then they say, well, we don't, we don't have a bullying problem. And I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're up in the night. You have no idea. If you walked down your hall recently, <laughs> and so there's some of that fear of admitting it, first of all. And so, you know, we don't look at it, we ad- avoid it. And so I really think this needs to be taken care of at home, where I can take care of it at home with my children, with my kids, because if we keep passing legislation, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And if we have somebody come in and do a training one day out of the year, that doesn't work. It doesn't stick. I mean, do you shower every day or once a year? Every right? day. <laughs> Zig Ziglar says, Zig Ziglar says, yeah, that's, you know, motivation works if you do it every day. And so, you know, the, the going into the schools is, is not as productive as I thought it would be. Going into a business and installing it into the workplace and then that ripples out to homes, that's been stellar. I've absolutely loved doing that or working on um, youth groups, parenting groups, things like that, where I can have multiple touch points with them and help them, you know, shift their perspective and what they're thinking. Because 
I've had this way of thinking for this many years. One day is not going to change it. You read about that. Change a lot of habits and a lot of thinking. So the grade absolutely needs improvement. And I'm not sure that that the school is the place to do it. I think the school absolutely needs to take, you know, a view, but I don't think, you know, the, the zero tolerance rule is a good thing because then you're not getting into the story of it or what's going on. And then you're kicking some kid out or another. I mean, it's just, it's convoluted. And so if we can get back to good, solid families, then we can start solving this problem. What about families that don't have the resources or the time or the ability. Like I grew up in a single parent family. I was lucky. My mom was an educator. So I had the time to have that flexibility with her, but I know there's millions of families where it's a single parent working three jobs, doesn't have the time to even focus on the bare essentials just to keep afloat. How do you work with a family like that when, you know, they don't have that ability to focus because they're so distracted with just surviving financially and everything else. I've been there. I was the single parent, you know, working multiple jobs and doing everything that I could. I was on food stamps, you know, I had WIC, you know, I was on state's assistance. That's where I was. And I realized that in my car, I could create a university that could get me out of where I was, that I got to choose what went in my mind. What was I listening to? What was I watching? And what was I believing? Because everybody has time somewhere. Are you on Facebook looking at other people live live their lives? Or are you listening to a podcast that can uplift and inspire you? When you're driving in your car, I have CDs still. In fact, (laughs) I borrowed a CD player from my son because I just bought a brand new Tony Robbins tape um, CD course off of... um, ebay for like 10 bucks because it was cds i'm like i'll take that Worthy. i haven't done this program before and so i'm listening to it yeah got my cd player got my my earplugs you know hey i'm listening to it why because my mind is the most valuable thing i can have and so yes i was a single parent yes i was on state assistance yes i did get food stamps all of that and now I live in a 4,400 square foot house overlooking the valley with an incredible view and I drive a Porsche. Why? Because I fed my mind the things I needed to feed it so I could make different decisions so I could change the trajectory of my life. Absolutely true for abundance, the the, the idea of, of abundance all around. What do you see the future of this going? Hmm. Of bullyproofing you? <laughs> well, um, the theories, I the see. concepts, and the ideas that you are passionate about, and I'm I'm loving to have you on the show and sharing these ideas. And where, where do you see going for you? Like, what do you think is your next project? I love that because um, every morning I read my story and I listen to my story and I visualize, and so I see the effects rippling out. So I see you and I see your listeners and your audience and I see their kids and I see their workplace and I see these things uplifting and empowering them. And then I also see my next project, which is a book that I'm working on called Taming the Bully Between Your Ears. And it's my journey from how I went from this kid that, you know, had all these struggles to writing two best-selling books, hopefully with my third now. 
He's a charm. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's hope. <laughs> Tell me, uh, we're, I can't believe how fast this interview is going. Uh, we're almost towards the end of our time, if you could believe Woo-hoo. that. I'll ask you this. Uh, share with our audience, if they want to reach out to you directly, how can they reach out to you and where can they find your book, Bullyproofing You? So the beautiful thing about my name, Cisco Meth, is I am the only Cisco Meth on social media. So I'm pretty easy to find. And it is spelled just like Cisco Computer Parts and the meth, the drug. And so if you type in Cisco meth, I'm going to pop up. Now, before you would type it in and you would see a bunch of crackheads. (laughs) (laughs) But now we've done enough stuff. There's enough things out there. You're going to find me pretty easy. So um, Jeannie at GeniesiscoMeth.com is my direct email. It comes directly to me. And um, I'll give you guys a, a free gift. If you guys reach out to me and just say, hey, Heard you on Jason's show. I'm sending you this email. You know, I would love a copy. I would love to invite you as my guest to my next Taming the Bully Between Your Ears Zoom training. We do one a month on a Saturday, 10 o'clock mountain. I would love to invite your audience for free as my guest. They got to mention you or they're going to have to pay 47 bucks. (laughs) So So they would reach out to you and say, hey, I I listened to the Jason Zook Social Psychic Radio Show podcast. And what do I need to do to sign up? Yep. And I'll send them the free link and get them registered. Our next one is actually June 19th. So I'm not sure when this will air, but we have, like I said, we have one every month. So I'll be trying to get you listen to this, whether it's a replay or whatever, I'm sure we'll have one. Let me know. The website for your book. Is it bullyproofingyou.book.com? Yeah. Bullyproofingyoubook.com. Absolutely. There's a whole home study course there. You get a workbook, you get the digital copy, you get a physical copy, you get videos, you get all kinds of stuff in there. Tons of goodies in there. I love that. I, uh, I appreciate you coming on, but before we conclude, I want to ask you this. Let's say you're in an elevator and if you could talk to anyone in the world now, past, present, you know, past or present, who would it be and why? Abraham Lincoln. I love that. And why? his goal to bring the country together. We need that. We need that desperately right now, desperately. So Abraham Lincoln followed by Helen Keller. Yes. Helen Keller is my first one because, or, or Ann Sullivan, you know, I mean, oh my gosh, what an incredible teacher, right? But, but Abraham Lincoln, Helen Keller, Ann Sullivan, George Washington, I could go on and on. <laughs> Thomas Edison, oh my gosh. Thomas Edison, 10,000 times. 10,000 times. Talk about persistence, right? Yes. Wow. You know, anyways, I could, I would just pack that elevator full. (laughs) That's great. That's great. I want to thank you for coming on, Jeannie. Um, This has been refreshing. And I think, you know, anytime you can have a dialogue about this topic and how critical it is and how timely it is, I feel like if we get people thinking about it, raising awareness of it, it can serve a very strong, important, vital function for our society and for one another. And I love that you incorporate spiritual topics into your into your book, as well as self-care, nurturing, self-love. And the way you approach it, you go about saying, you know, de-escalate. I think that that's so critical and important. And there's so many things that we can learn from your book. Yeah. And that's why I'm so fascinated to be able to have you come on today and share your ideas with us. I thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you. And I remember when I was first, you know, when I, I call them God pokes, those little things that you're like, I should do this. I should do this. And um, I remember telling the Lord, but look at all these people that are doing this. They have their own, you know, they're, they're doing this. And he's like, yeah, but your voice is unique. Absolutely. I need your voice. And I was like, okay, 
<laughs> All right. So it's thank you for saying, hey, you've enjoyed my voice today. I appreciate it. <laughs> you have a message like yours. It's it's refreshing because you always have all these other messages out there and they're not always the most positive. And I, I'm a big advocate of positivity, positive thinking. I survived yes. cancer a couple of years ago. And for me, what got me through all those tribulations, including COVID and everything else, I didn't have COVID, but just having to be locked away for a year plus. <laughs> I mean, you really have to delve deep inside yourself and let go of a lot of negativity and work through things. And I did all that. And so when we're talking about this stuff today and this topic, I, I can really relate to it. It's very relatable. And I hope our audience feels the same way because I feel like our conversation today can really evoke a lot of ideas for people who are dealing with these type of issues yeah. for their children themselves or whatnot. Yeah. For Real practical school skills that they can use right now. And, you know, I, I decided that I would do whatever I could because I never, ever wanted to lose someone, not on my watch, not on my watch. And this is my watch. So thank you for helping me reach more people on my watch. Absolutely. I also want to extend the invitation to have my platform be open to you so that when you do have taming the bully between your ears and you want to bring it mm. to our show, I'd love to feature you. And yeah, absolutely. You will definitely, um, I'm always an open platform for you. Oh, thank you. Cause I believe very heavily in what you're doing and what you're, what you're, you're accomplishing. Mm, thank you. I appreciate that. I just want to thank Jeannie for coming on the show today. Bullyproofing You is such a profound, important book. I, I encourage our audience to check it out. Go to bullyproofingyoubook.com. Check out Jeannie's website. And Jeannie's email is Jeannie Cisco Meth, her full name, Jeannie at GeniesiscoMeth.com. Look, we all have people in our lives when we go to school. I, I can think back to when I was in high school. You have one of these amazing educators that takes such an important interest in your, in your self-worth and your, and your, your well-being. And talking to Jeannie today reminded me of that special brand of what you call the unsung hero, the person that doesn't seek the, the limelight, the person that doesn't try to make what they're doing a big deal, but they're profound in their impact, the ripples that they create. And Jeannie mentioned ripples earlier. And I think the ripples that she's created in the positive dynamic of her book and just everything she's done around this topic, it just, it, it, it sings to my ears. And I hope it does to yours as well. And I hope that when you're presented with a situation with a bully, or if you deal with someone who's negative, you can employ some of these strategies that Jeannie and I discussed today so that you can help de-escalate things. But more importantly, look within yourself, increase as much self-love as possible and relate to, to, to yourself with anything that you find as a challenge. Because if we have more compassion and empathy in this world, we can definitely combat bullying and its negative impact. Check out bullyproofingyoubook.com and check out Jeannie Cisco Meth. And I'm just so grateful to have her on. Remember, we're going to have more content coming on as well with amazing guests. But for anyone who has a negative situation, just remember, stay positive. Because when you stay positive, anything is possible. Thank you for listening Thanks. to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. 
Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives' activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid. Electric acid.